Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. The work of God in our lives is never intended to stop with us. God's work in our lives, it's never intended to stop at us. It's intended to go through us. We are a conduit to the praise and the glory of God. So God works in us. It doesn't stop there and we just enjoy God's work and do nothing about it. We are intended to experience God's work in us, be transformed by it, and then that comes out through the work of our hands and through the praise of our hearts. So we praise God for what He's doing in our life. And it affects how we live with other people as well. And so we, we love people. I mean, when God works in us, we love God and we love people in the way God defines loving Him and loving people. So when God's working, it should result in the praise, glory, the adoration of God. God's working in us. We shouldn't just stop and say, great, I'm glad God's doing the work. And then it not affect us. It should change us. We are not the end. We are not the stopping point of God's work. In our, our God's work, it just doesn't stop but it transforms us. So we are to respond to God with praise. And this morning, we get a whole lot of content that's just truth. I mean, truth bomb after truth bomb about what God has done for us and about what God is doing in us. And it's intended to make us durable to where we can praise God through the highs and through the lows. The end result we see in verse 6 is that we would rejoice. In this, you rejoice. In this truth, in the trials, in the suffering, no matter what comes our way, God is building us into durable people that can rejoice. So this is content this morning that should make us, you know, throw a fist in the air and scream out, God is good. God, thank you. You're worthy. Let's go. This is a rally the troops kind of morning. We are to bless God and praise God for what he's done for us. Look at verse 3. We're going to read the whole chunk all the way down through 12 before we work through it. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with a a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving, were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Blessed by God, Peter's desire in verse 3 is that God would be praised. Peter is praising God, and by doing that, he is inviting us 
to join him. We should come along with Peter and praise God as well for what he's about to lay out. He is exhorting us to jump on in. Blessed be God. And as he's writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's the invitation. Bless God with me. So we're going to join Peter this morning and uh, respond to his exhorting. And we're going to praise God with him. So why should we praise God? Why should we praise God? Why should we bless God this morning? Well, here's what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. So why should we join Peter this morning? Well, God, we are told, has been merciful to to us. According to his great mercy, God has done something for us. And what is that thing that he has done according to his mercy? Well, God has caused us to be born again. The new birth. The new birth. What does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian, it means that you are born again. We're told about this in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You can be born of the flesh, but you're also to be born of the spirit. To be born again means that you have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. Everybody in this world, although they're breathing, if they're a living person, they're breathing, they have breath in their lungs, they have a heartbeat, and they have cognitive function. Some, you know, certainly they're are those in hospitals in a vegetative state, but there's measures of life. And so if you're alive, you're alive. But spiritually, the Bible teaches that everybody is spiritually dead. That we come into this earth physically alive. We've been born, and we've been born by way of conception. So there's been, uh, between a man and a woman, there's been a coming together, and then there's been the birth of a baby. And then this baby is physically alive. But we're told biblically that we have to be, like, like that physical birth, we have to be born again. And this is spiritual. So we're all dead. We're spiritually dead. And we're told here that God has been merciful to those who are dead. Spiritually dead. And it's interesting because those that are spiritually dead can do a whole lot of what looks like spiritual seeking. They can be highly religious. In fact, everybody is a highly religious person, whether they're Christian or not, they're serving and worshiping something, and yet God, we're told, is merciful to us, and this mercy is something that we should praise Him for. And we're told that it's God who has caused us to be born again. God caused us to be born again. This goes right in line with last week's verses that we looked at. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, it's because God did something to you. It's not because you made yourself be born again. The John 3 comparison with being born of the water and being born of the spirit, of the flesh and the spirit, is there because the idea of the new birth is intended to communicate to the Christian that in the same way you had nothing to do with your first birth, your physical birth. Anybody in here convince your parents to conceive you? You you didn't do that. You you you, you, You didn't have an ability. You weren't born yet. You being born was not up to you. It was, not, it was not, but yet you were born. And there was a smack on the butt, the bottom, and there was the clearing out of the, the mucus or whatever was in the, the, the baby's throat. And then the baby cries, and that cry is evidence that that baby is alive. But that cry did not determine the conception. The, the life, the evidence of life, didn't determine that the baby would be born in the same way when you and I became a Christian, there was repentance and faith. 
In fact, repentant people make decisions every single day. And, and there was a moment in, in time where to become a Christian, there was repentance and faith. And what the Bible is telling us here is that repentance and faith, when you became a Christian, when you were born again, it wasn't caused by your repentance and faith. Your repentance and faith was caused by the work of another. Just like your birth, your physical birth, was caused by your parents. And the tango that happened, God is the great cause of your new birth. And so when God, through the Apostle Peter, is saying, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He immediately gives us reason to praise. It's an invitation to come in right here out the get-go, right out of the gate. We've already heard about what God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son has done for us. And that great news is continuing now. Praise be to God, because if you're born again, it's because He is the cause of it. And so we can't step into the, the book of 1 Peter and thank ourselves for anything we have to be invited into this glorious truth of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We were in sin, we were spiritually dead, and yet God caused us to be born again. God caused that. So if you think about the time when you became a Christian, whenever it was, if you can remember it, if it was a moment in time that you can remember it, you had it on the date and you can remember it in circling, and you know the very specific time, or it was a season in your life where you know that you were born again, but you just can't pinpoint when that was. And you just start to think about that. Why did that season happen? Why did that moment happen? And the answer the Apostle Peter tells us is because God caused it to happen. That's why. You're a Christian because God caused you to be a Christian. And that's really, really freeing and it's really good news. And you know what that means? There is nobody, and I mean nobody, out there that's more powerful than God. And if God is after them, He can get them. In the same way God caused you to be born again, and it wasn't about your intellectual ability, it wasn't about your spiritual aptitude, it wasn't about you separating yourself like we talked about last week from anybody else in the world, it was about God's mercy. He's been merciful to you, and He's been merciful countless millions, even billions more times. God caused us to be born again. So we praise Him. This is, from the beginning, content that causes us to praise God. It's not intended for us to just look at and say, great, God has caused me to be born again. It's intended to go through us. God, thank you for causing me to be born again. Thank you that you have opened my eyes. You've given me a new heart. And just like Lydia, you opened my eyes and opened my heart to pay attention to what the truth is. And God, we thank you for it. We're born again to something else though. It's not just that he's caused us to be born again, caused us to be born again to just this life of no hope, a life of despair, a life of just simply warring with sin for the rest of our lives. No, we've been brought into this new life and the word hope is now brought in to the text. We have been born again to something and that born again is to a living hope. We have been born again to a living hope. Hope, living hope. We are now alive. Spiritual death is spiritual life. And now we have hope. Every single Christian has hope, even if the Christian doesn't feel like they have hope. There's hope. That's what we've been born again to. A pessimistic Christian is an oxymoron. Like, like if you're a pessimistic Christian, stop it. Yes. Thank you, Chris. Stop it. We are intended to be hopeful. Why would we have hope? Well, because our sins are forgiven. We know the God of the universe. The God of the universe who holds all things in his hands also has us in his hands. And he's given us precious promises like 
There's nothing that could possibly come our way that's not intended for our good, even the worst things possibly imaginable. Somehow or another, we have promises, even in those valleys, that somehow God is working this for my good. Why have hope? Because God has promised that there's nothing that won't work for your good. We are born again. We have spiritual life. We've been brought from death to life. So we're born again to this living hope. So we are to be, of all people around the world, optimistic. Things are terrible. Justin Trudeau is a tyrant in Canada. Joe Biden's a tyrant here in America. We have hope because we have a king that's named Jesus. And whether they realize it or not, one day in this life or the next, they will bow the knee now or when it's too late and declare, Jesus, you are the king of kings and lord of lords. And so we have hope. But this hope is connected to the resurrection. The resurrection is just so full and rich. It's a seed that grows and there's just so much power if we look at what resurrection is all about. We're told that through a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So born again to a living hope through the resurrection. So there's something about this resurrection of Jesus that's connected to the cause of our birth, our spiritual birth. Jesus comes back to life. And this new birth comes by way of Jesus' resurrection. So we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus has massive consequences. Massive. There's been books written about it. In fact, I think this may be one of the doctrine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the most underdeveloped in the average Christian mind. Jesus rose from the dead. Great. Big. Maybe that shows that the sacrifice was accepted. But beyond that, I really don't know much about the resurrection. That's great. He resurrected from the grave, ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Awesome. That's great things to know. But practically, how does that have any impact on my life? And I think that's a general sentiment that a lot of Christians can walk with, that I walked with for many years. What, what are the implications of the resurrection? Well, one of them we find out right here is that Within Jesus' resurrection is power for people to be resurrected from the dead. First, spiritually, the new birth was purchased. Jesus resurrects. And in that resurrection is the power for spiritual rebirth. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then there's no such thing as anyone being born again. There's no such thing as anyone being a Christian. In fact... Any of the people of, the God, of God in the Old Testament, the only way they were the people of God in the Old Testament is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the power that went retroactively back from the resurrection backwards. Resurrection forward, resurrection backward. So if Jesus did not come back from the dead, we are all doomed to hell. There's no life. And so what Jesus did... In his resurrection was consequential. It contained within it our spiritual resurrection from the dead. And then later on our physical resurrection from the dead as well. So as Jesus resurrected bodily, you and I will also resurrect bodily. The physical resurrection of Jesus ensures us that eternity will be physical and not spiritual. And this is a, a default, I think, amongst especially the, the common ideas out there in the world about what heaven is like. You guys have heard me joke about the Care Bear heaven before, where you know heaven is where it's the, the foggy land, the shadow land, where it's, it's ethereal, it's disconnected, it's not material. 
So there's nothing you can stand on. It's, it's very dreamy. But the resurrection of Jesus not only brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, but Jesus' resurrection also ensures that we will be forever existing in a material state, a physical body, spiritual rebirth and physical rebirth. The resurrection of Jesus is massive. So within that resurrection, what we find is this undoing of everything that happened from the curse. The reason people are spiritually dead is because of the Garden of Eden. Everyone who's ever existed, the 7.5 billion people that exist on this earth right now, and the billions of people that have existed in the history of the world, which uh, from, from what I understand is you know, somewhere between 10 to 12 billion people, it just depends on how far we go back, 6 to 12,000 years, generations, count it all up, lots of people. And every single one of them was with Adam in the garden. Spiritual death. And what we're told is that the resurrection of Jesus is the cause of our spiritual life. There is an undoing of the consequences of the fall in the resurrection of Christ. So if the, if, if the fall, you see the tentacles of the fall that stains everything. It just goes out everywhere and it corrupts the whole universe. It goes beyond our earth, into our galaxy, into our universe, and it just corrupts everything. Everything dies. The animal kingdom dies. And it just everything, everything dies. Everywhere you see it, it's, it's awful. And frick, in fact, when you look at the, the brutality of nature, my friend Riley is a cattle rancher. And uh, some of you might puke about this, sorry. But um, when, when calves are being birthed out of a, a mama cow, coyotes will come up in that birthing process and will literally kill the mama and the calf as that process is happening. It's brutal. Like the animal kingdom is brutal. That's why hunting, by the way, hunting... Apologetic 101, it's a way more ethical kill to hunt than it is in the death in the wild. Sidebar. Uh, can I get an amen from all the hunters out there? All right. Uh, and uh, for anybody that's horrified by that, we love you and we dwell in unity. All right. Death is everywhere. In this resurrection... The fundamental thing that's corrupted at the fall is the human being. And what we're told is through this resurrection that, that that thing, mankind, can be brought back to life and is brought back to life. Therefore, everything, it's like this great unwinding. Everything that was cursed from the fall, from the resurrection forward, is being uncursed. Is in the process of being restored. And I think it was Carol one week when I was mentioning something on the Q&A talking about one day we're heading to an eternal Eden that's global and that's universal and that's cosmic and that's everywhere because of what Christ has done in his resurrection. He defeated Satan's sin and death and the consequences of Adam are not more powerful than the consequences of the second Adam. And we're, we want to be on his team. And thankfully through that resurrection we are. We have this inheritance. And that's why when we talk about the resurrection, this word inheritance will often come alongside it. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the inheritance that is ours already and then the inheritance that's going to be given to us. We've been, resurrection, re, we've been resurrected or born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and kept in heaven for us. Remember, this is an invitation to bless the Lord together with Peter. Okay? Oh, this is really good. 
The resurrection of Christ procured for us spiritual life in this world. We live because Jesus lives, and because of that, this inheritance, what we're talking about, this unwinding of the curse, we have an inheritance that will not perish. An inheritance that will not perish. An inheritance that cannot be defiled, that cannot fade away, and an inheritance that right now is being kept in heaven for us. You know, if you're going through some financial troubles in this life, and you know, you know, you're not the younger brother, you're not like wishing the death of your parents or something like that. But if you know, let's say your parents already passed away and there's this big fund and you know that when you turn a certain age, this fund gets released to you. And you're going through some financial troubles and you're wanting to be as wise as you possibly can, but you know, uh, a tornado came through, an earthquake came through, and you didn't have earthquake insurance, and your house is destroyed. Something terrible's happening. All right. Well, that's, it's going to cause temporary trouble, but when you know this inheritance is here waiting for you, it has practical effect on how you feel about that right now. Because you know what's coming is a reality, and it's going to be yours. It's going to be in your possession. Amen. And what we're told here is through this resurrection... We have an inheritance that's waiting for us. Again, this is a material inheritance. This is not just spiritual blessings, as if that's not enough. This is an eternity that's awaiting us, that's a real inheritance that God will give us, and we're going to reign with Him forever and ever and ever as the sons and daughters of God. It's a real inheritance. We'll know each other. We'll be able to grab each other on the arm. We'll be able to go out for a run. This is an eternal existence in a material world as it should be. And it's going to be glorious. This is the shadow land. Now, this is the shadow land. But this inheritance that's coming to us is so much better than this. How do we know that this is the shadow land? Because what we see perishes. What we see can be defiled. We live in a world of defilers, defiling that which is glorious and beautiful. In this world, we have things that do fade away. But what's coming to us, none of that can touch. It is secured and it is kept by God for us right now. God is storing an, an eternal inheritance for us and it is certainly ours. It's not going to be lost because He's the one keeping it. It's not like it's this dangled gift out there just like, here, here. You remember in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to Auntie, that little piece of uh, Twinkie that's out in front of him and he just keeps walking because it's this, but he never actually gets it. This is something that he's actually going to give us. We get the Twinkie. It's coming our way. And it's being kept for every Christian. It's eternal. It's real. And... Uh, this, this life, this vapor, God is so kind to us. And years ago, I heard a preacher say this, and it stuck with me. It's so true. For the Christian, this is the closest to hell that you will ever get. Even the blessings that you get to experience in this life right now, the hope that you have, this is the closest to hell that you ever get. Ever get. And uh, it's for a vapor. And then, like, a vapor or, like, a moment in time on the scale of eternity, like, this is our life. And then, you know, a line a billion miles that way, this is eternity, and that's the inheritance that we get to walk in, and it won't grow old, it won't get defiled, we won't get bored. One of the things about eternity that used to make me feel a little nervous is boredom. Because you get bored with stuff on this earth, right? Even like, the, you know, you get Christmas presents, and then three weeks later you can't remember what you got. Or maybe you're 
you're at the stage of life where you get one really nice Christmas present a year and you, 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 know, you like it and enjoy it for a few years or something, but um, things grow, they, they grow old and they get defiled. Well, think about the reality of eternally, eternity and not getting to that point where you get bored, where you have full joy and it's forevermore, where I'm not bored, I'm not tired, I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking like, what am I gonna do today, twiddling my thumbs. This is full joy forever and it never gets old or stale. That's what's waiting for you. And it's being kept for you. It's unfading. It's, he says it. Peter says it. it it's, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's an inheritance that's coming our way. Here, my children, this is for you. And it's ready to be revealed. Here's what Edmund Clowney one commentator that I'm reading on the, on the book of 1 Peter, here's what he has to say. God has prepared his salvation for us. The term ready suggests that there need be no delay. Our inheritance will be revealed in the last day. But God has it ready for us now. It's finished. Nothing need be added to God's preparation. The salvation that God has got ready does not need a few final touches from us. Nor are we called to serve as consultants in designing God's plan. God's salvation is finished. It's perfect. It's unchangeable. It's kept for us by God himself. Unlike our utopian dreams or fantasies of science fiction, God's plan for the future is already a reality. And as, as pilgrims traveling to the city of God, we know that the city to come is the city that comes to us with the Lord Jesus himself. Indeed, our final inheritance is not merely kept by God. It is actually the Lord Himself. God claims His people as His inheritance. And He gives Himself as their inheritance. We get to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. And He's big enough to be with each one of us in that moment. I have no idea how. But we get to be with Him forever. And it's for us. Truly, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of what God has prepared for those who love Him. Because everything that we know of can be defiled and can fade away. But what God is going to give to us can't. This, this invitation to Peter, bless the Lord with me. Bless the Lord with me. And we get into this. It's like, God, this is... I can't, I can't imagine this. Yeah, that's why in the book of Acts, Luke says, no eye can see. No ear, no, nobody can conceive of what God has prepared. So what does God do for us until then? Does He only give us this inheritance and say, it's coming, your life's going to be terrible until then? Just wait it out, stick it out. It's going to be just miserable. And then one day, I've got this inheritance and it's enough. It's enough. And you know what, friends? It is enough. Like if God didn't do anything else for us but forgive us our sins and say the inheritance is coming, but just prepare because life for all of you is going to be miserable. You know, okay, God, whatever you give us, that's, we trust you. But we're going to get some stuff in the process, like in the path to getting there. And if this is the closest thing to hell that any Christian will ever get, then look at this for this life right now. Look at these precious promises that are, that are there for us that, again, are just so marvelous. What does God do for us until then? Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, we see that God is guarding us. We are being guarded by God's power. And the way that God guards us in this life is through faith. 
It's not through lack of faith. It's through faith. And this isn't God's faith. God doesn't have faith. He doesn't have to have faith. In the scriptures, the only people that have faith have to be people. People have faith. God doesn't have faith. And here, what we see connected is that God is promising his inheritance, and it's connected to the guarding power of God, but it's guarded by God through the faith of the believers. Guarded by God through the faith of the believers. Now, think with me here in categories. It's kept in heaven for us. It's for sure. And it's being guarded. We are being guarded through faith. So we have something that's certain for us, and God is guarding us through faith. When you connect these two ideas, these are future promises to us. God, in His guarding of us, connects it with faith, meaning that there is a certainty connected to the faith of the believer. God will not let your faith go out. He is guarding you through that faith. And because it's guaranteed, this is also a promise for those that have struggled with faith and gone through seasons of life where it's like, God, I'm struggling to believe that you have my best interest in mind. I'm struggling to see how in the world this could be for my good. How are you going to pull this off, God? And yet, we see that he is guarding us through this faith. Therefore, it's a promise to all who are in Christ Jesus that you will preserve to the end with faith. For those that don't, for those that walk away, for those who give up, well, you have to say, you have to in light of this, that these were people who were imposters. They were playing a game, playing religion. They were like Demas, in love with this present world and not actually in love with Jesus. Because we are being guarded through our faith and this thing we're being guarded for is a certainty. It's a reality. So for those in this room who are our believers who have been born again, God will see you through. He has a salvation, a future salvation that's ready and prepared for you and you will be guarded through your faith. You will endure by the grace of God and by the power of God. Keep your head up. Believe. You may feel like faith is just flickering. Turn to Him again today and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Trust Him, and He will guard you through that. But that's not all He does for us in this life. The Christian needs to understand that we've been saved by His grace. We're being kept by His grace, and we're going to always be kept by His grace. But in that process of guarding us through our faith, we get to have durable joy. Durable joy. Um, when we know these truths, it does something in us. Now, I love Stanley Thermoses. There's some, maybe it's, I don't know if you men can maybe testify to this, but if you don't know what to get a man for Christmas or his birthday, just get him another thermos or another cooler, like a really nice cooler or thermos. And even if you have a bunch of them, you're like, that's really cool. Thank you. And I'll find a place for it. And uh, so Stanley thermoses I like, and you know, you can beat up a Stanley thermos. You can throw it. You can, you know, you can just do all this stuff with a Stanley thermos. A couple years ago on Marketplace, I found a... 1923 Stanley Thermos with the original cork. And I bought it. It didn't have, it was rusted on the bottom, so I had to do that CRL stuff and get the rust all off of it and some vinegar and clean it up. And then on the bottom of every single vacuum sealed Stanley Thermos, you can see the date and see what quarter it's printed on. If you, if you don't know about Stanley Thermoses, you can just see what year it is. And then based on A, B, C, or D, you'd tell what month of that year that it was manufactured. 1923. 
I think I got it in 2019. He's like, oh my goodness, this is 96 years old or whatever. So it's 99 years old now, and that thing still works, just like it did when it was brand new. I can put coffee in there, and 24 hours later, it's still warm. It's just incredible. It's durable. And it looks like, you know, beat up. It doesn't have the original paint on it and the little Stanley sticker that was on it to begin with. It's, it's not there anymore. But the thing still works. It's made it 99 years, and it still works. And now, in a human, uh, uh, climate-controlled room, I mean, if I live to be really, really old, my great-grandchildren are going to get a really old Stanley thermos, and it's still going to work. It's durable. When we know the promises of God like this for us, and we have an eye on them, like we have an eye on them, I know where I'm going, I know what He has for me, and He's guarding me right now, and as weak as my faith may feel right now, by God's grace, I'm going to keep walking that way. There's a durability about the Christian that happens. That's, that's unshakable. And there's going to be you know, times, again, that you still walk through those valleys, but there's durable joy. And I want you to look at what the Apostle Peter says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though for now, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, these promises are there for us in trials. Um, we're compared to uh, gold that perishes. Gold, you think, well, gold doesn't perish, but, but even gold goes away. It can get lost. It's, it's going to be at some point burned up. Gold has to be refined by fire. And these comparisons with the Christian is that these trials, they, they have this refining work on us, and we are imperishable. Like we're, we're even, as we get refined, we are more precious than gold. Trials have this way of changing us and not destroying us. And it has the opposite effect. We feel like trials, and it's interesting because the Apostle Peter has the audacity to anticipate joy amongst the suffering people walking through trials. And, and it's almost like this thing where you would think that that would almost be condemning because people going through trials, of course we assume that they're, they're having some difficult days and they're having these highs and lows. But what the Apostle Peter is anticipating is that they are going to do well, that they're being refined, that it's going to be for their good. We get tested, we grieve, but the Christian doesn't stay forever beat up. We get up. We lift up our head. We get refined. We get stronger. A righteous man falls seven times, and yet he keeps getting up. We remember the promises of God. We look to the city of God. We look at what Christ has done as we look backwards. The Holy Spirit empowers us and wakes us up to face yet another day. We look to Jesus, maybe through tears, but we get up and we keep going forward. We're made durable people. There's trials. What Paul is, or what Peter is knowing is that these people are going through persecution. They're going through suffering. They're, they're where they are because they've experienced suffering at Peter's fellow apostle Paul's hand. And he knows what they've gone through. They've been a suffering church. We get into the book of 1 Peter and we're going to hit suffering over and over again. The life of the believer is not free from suffering. In fact, God at times wills suffering for us because we are more precious than gold will suffering for us because we are more precious than gold. Because He's building us up and making us durable in this life. So we go through trials. We keep our head up. 
And we keep running towards King Jesus. Verse 7b, it tells us that the result of these promises, it's a group of people who are durable, who lift their head, who walk forward, who can't be kept down. We're told, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, for the Christian, these tests end up resulting in praise and glory and honor one day at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor. It's there for those who are walking through these tests. But then it gets even more audacious. Because Peter talks to a suffering church and he anticipates not just that they're joyful, that they're going to be happy, but he actually uses the word joy unspeakable or inexpressible joy to describe this group of Christians going through trials and suffering. He anticipates what's there. And if we're not careful, um, in our search for authenticity that I talked about a few weeks ago, um, this church was authentically joyful. And he anticipates their joy. And he's not scared that he's going to reap condemnation upon them. He's not scared that by saying that he knows you have joy, he, he realizes that there's going to be some that are down in that moment. And he's not scared that that may bring condemnation to them. He's, he's like, no, this is going to raise them up. I'm going to expect that they're going to be a people that are joyful. Let me show you what I'm talking about. All these promises are, are there for us. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter anticipates four things about this suffering church. They've experienced trials. Hey guys, this is the truth of every single church. Suffering is different between, between uh, different places and eras and uh, suffering ebbs and flows. You know, this, it's just it's different in different places. And um, I think it's very possible if, if we don't see what's happening up with our brothers up north and if, if we don't do what the church has been doing for a very long time, for decades now, which is sleeping on their watch. Um, if, we, if we wake up, the church is this sleeping giant, this a sleeping giant of optimism and a force to be reckoned with. If we will open our eyes and do what God has called us to do. But even in these trials, even in this suffering, we have experienced trials and suffering. And yet, Peter expects this to be going on in the church. This right here. Here's what he expects in this church of suffering and trials. He expects their loving Jesus. You see that right here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. They've never seen Jesus. They didn't get to see the resurrected Lord as Peter did. None of us have got to see the resurrected Lord as Peter did. And yet, what he knows is going on in this church, even as they're facing trials, is that this is a group of people that love Jesus. The basics of what it means to be a Christian at its fundamental level is loving Jesus. Do you love Him? It's not a matter of knowing every single theological principle down, dotting every I and crossing every T. There are many people who can dot every I and cross every T that have little to no affection for Jesus. Do you love Him? And he anticipates that this church loves Jesus. The second thing he anticipates is that they believe without seeing. That they're believing without seeing everything that they're believing. 
That's what he says. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. They believe in him. There's faith. They are believing the promises. Even though right now things look terrible, they're believing the promises of God. He anticipates this. And then he anticipates that they have so much joy that it can't be described simply by the term joy. He's got to say, I think the King James says, joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. It's unspeakable joy. Inexpressible joy. Like it's so much joy that you don't know how to express it. You know, like sometimes I've got a, I have a lot of energy, okay? And uh, here's an embarrassing thing about me. Sometimes when I have a lot of, lot of energy, I'll be like, you guys dare me to run around the house right now? And I'll go run around the house just because I've got a bunch of energy and I want to entertain my family. Last time I did it, I did it barefoot in the snow, just ran around the house just for fun. And uh, they were entertained. Right, honey? They were all entertained. They were all at the window, just looking. And all the neighbors were like, our neighbor is nuts. Absolutely nuts. What's he doing? Obtaining the But he anticipates that they're full of joy. That's what he ex expects them to have joy unspeakable. And he expects that they are full of glory. Full of glory. A glorious people. When you see people get up after they've been knocked down, there's glory to that. Get up. There's glory when Rocky Balboa keeps getting beat on by Apollo Creed and he just keeps getting up. He stands up, gets up. It's like, man, that's admirable. I, I want to honor that. There's glory there. And for the Christian going through trials and suffering, yeah, you're down. Okay, wake up, face another day. Get a glass of water, wash your face, go work out, do what you got to do. Face the, face the day, look to Jesus, trust in him. And there's glory in that. God will give you strength in that. And sometimes trials can feel overwhelming and all you can do is just the next day. And the community of people that are experiencing this joy unspeakable have to come alongside and say, come on, get up, look to Christ, he's for you. And we're cheerleaders for one another. Come on, there's glory. And when you see somebody walking through trial or suffering, when you see James Coates walk into prison with his head held high and you see his wife saying, you go to prison, baby, you don't fold. You're like, there's glory there. There's glory there. We all want to be like that. And by God's grace, that's what we are. He expects them full of glory. With a suffering church, it's quite possible, what is it not, to anticipate all of the opposite? Church, I know you're just miserable right now. Everything's terrible, but hang on there. There's inheritance coming. No, be joyful in this life. You're as close to hell that you'll ever get. Oh yeah, still be joyful. The God of the universe is with you. But Peter was right. Through it all, this church was loving, believing, experiencing joy, and walking in glory. You want to pressure the people of God? You want to bring the heat? You want to bring suffering and persecution? You want to stomp on the church? All right, you're going to awaken that sleeping giant. And you're going to see a people that are durable. They're going to rise up. They're going to keep going. And they cannot be stopped. And this is what many of my pastor friends are experiencing and churches are experiencing right now across this country when the oppression and make no mistake if you want a definition of suffering or persecution when a nation or anyone requires of Christians to disobey God and obey them that's persecution don't let anybody ever tell you we've not been persecuted of this this is real persecution that the church has faced real persecution 
He goes, ah, it's not real persecution. It's not required your blood. Oh, yeah? They're requiring people to disobey God and, and obey them. That's persecution. And it comes with a cost when you say, no, sorry. And if we're not going to stand now under that little persecution, it's insane to me that churches are like, well, we're gonna, we, but we are going to stand when we're getting thrown to the lions. All right, sure. You'll do whatever it takes to keep your paycheck. And it's just insane. When God's people obey God over man, you get, to see, you get to see God work. I think our church is an example of this. Many churches are an example of this. Churches that have stood against federal and state governments have grown like crazy. They've just grown. It, uh, shocking. You just have to keep the doors open and, and treat people like adults. And people respect that. And God works. The road to eternal salvation is paved with. In this experience of the closest thing to hell you'll ever get, the road to eternal salvation is paved with sustaining grace, joy unspeakable, and durable faith. God will see you out. Keep your head up. Keep going. Don't quit. God is at work in you. Now, this is so wonderful that the angels stand in awe of this. Real quickly, I want you to see this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that's to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things in which to angels, into which angels long to look. The good news have come. The good news came to them. The good news has came to us. And what we close with today is that the angels are standing in awe or longing to look into the good news that was preached through the Holy Spirit. The angels are looking at the good news preached by the Holy Spirit. The good news of the gospel of Jesus. Angels are looking at it. What we're discussing today. All these glories that are wrapped up in this word gospel. The inheritance that's yours. The sustaining grace. The power of God to bring you out of death into life. They're looking at all of that. And they're longing to look at it. Longing to look at it. It's like they're standing back in awe. Tapping their foot thinking. Oh my goodness. This is too glorious for me even to look at. I wish I could look at it. I wish I could see it. I wish I could comprehend it. But it's too glorious for me. And how often do we think the gospel of Jesus is stale? Not for the angels. Or that we know it all. And that we've got it all figured out. Or there's not more glories for us to discover. Or there's not more sustaining grace in it. And the angels are like, oh my gosh, if I could just see this for what it is. And one of the reasons why is that angels have never experienced redemption. Satan and demons didn't. Angels that have never fallen have never experienced life from the dead. They've never experienced salvation by Jesus, but apparently angels are standing in awe, not that they've always been in the presence of God, but they're standing in awe at what you and I get to experience. Redemption. Oh, if we could see what they get to see. Oh, if we could experience what they get to experience. Angels looking at us and thinking, oh, if I could only experience that. It's amazing. The salvation of sinners is a thing to behold for angelic beings. The sustaining grace, the glory that Christians get to walk in when they wake up to face another day and fight for joy. The angels are like, oh my, I long to see it. 
I long to look at it. Friends, we have experienced what angels have not. Salvation from our sins. Jesus has rescued us. And we get to stand in awe. We get to come along with the Apostle Peter who said, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to say, Yes, blessed indeed. He is glorious. He's good. God, thank you for causing me to be born again. Thank you for giving me life from the dead. Thank you for promising an eternal inheritance. That not, it's not just shadow land of, of weird existence for all eternity. But thank you for giving me a real inheritance. And it's sustaining me until I get there. Thank you for letting me experience what angels long to experience. Redemption. Life from the dead. Life with Christ now and forevermore. We get to stand in awe. We get to praise his holy name. And we get to bless the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, along with the Apostle Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, lead us as we sing about the glorious work that you have done in our lives and you continue to do in our lives. God, thank you that we get to sing content that's true. And help us to think about what we're singing before we come to the table to receive. Even now as we respond to your word being preached, help us to respond with praise and just glory and honor. God, sustain us now. Sustain us now with your word. Give us strength to face another day and to face another day with joy. To get up, to move forward, to be in glory. Help us in that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.